now you can now you can start hello and welcome to the fourth episode of code and beyond a podcast where we talk about software development and anything beyond that today is going to be about the api design first philosophy hello alex hi pablo and our first section section today is going to be the follow-ups. Last time, we realized that each episode is taking more and more time. So we decided to skip two sections and be more focused. Yeah, let's see how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> let's see. Let's see how it goes. So one of the sections that's still in there is highlights of the week and shout out. What do you have? On my list today is just one tool, which I know for many years already. Don't use it every day, but each time when I use it, it feels awesome. The tool is called Monodraw. It's, I think it's just for, for macOS. Uh, and it's an application where you could draw diagrams using ASCII art. And then you mm-hmm. could convert it into PNG, SVG as well, and just text. So it's awesome for pull requests. It's it's great for, for Markdown because you could just copy and paste these diagrams, put mm-hmm. it into your uh, text, and, and, and that's it. And today I was using it with combination of tool, which I mentioned last time, slides. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I created Markdown file, put some diagrams there, and then got slides with these diagrams. And everything worked as a charm. What do you have? So because we are going to talk about mainly HTTP APIs this week, I have some highlights uh, about this topic. So first one is the Stoplight Studio tool. Mm-hmm. It's like an ID to describe your API in a high level, and then mm-hmm. you get uh, the open API definition, and you get the payloads and everything. You get uh, LinkedIn for free, and you also get a nice uh, mocking service. Highly recommended. Check it out. Uh, the other one I have is APIs You Won't Hate Community. This community is all about API design, good practices, and so on. Also, yeah, very related to this topic. And the last but not least, is a gem that I discovered this week. It's not related at all with APIs. It's a Ruby gem called uh, Marginalia. I don't know how to pronounce it. It annotates models. Yes, models, right? Yeah. Uh, so when you're, for example, on Heroku, when you need to trace down a SQL query and you don't have dry links to, to your code, you just have a raw SQL query saying that this is the, the slowest query in your app, uh, you're going to see this comment attached to it that usually attach the model name, controller, and so on. Mm-hmm. can be quite handy depending on where you're deploying. Now we are going to jump to the main section and start to talk about APIs and API design first. The idea is to talk about mainly HTTP APIs, not yeah, library APIs or anything like that. And I thought that could be nice to, instead of going straight and talk about uh, API design first, uh, because I think both of us agree on this approach and we really like it and it's going to be all about, yeah, this is nice, this is the way to go and, and so on. So I thought, let's just start with the previous experience that we have with other APIs, different type of uh, design approaches and why it didn't or why they work. The first I have on my list is code first approach. Mm-hmm. You as a developer, tech leaders or so, you get tasked with uh, designing an API. Usually the, the, the way to go was planning this API. Mm-hmm. So you start to think about the API, the endpoints, the payload, security. Parameters. Yeah. And then you write it down in a document. You pass this document around. You get some feedback from your colleagues. Mm-hmm. Maybe you double check with your clients. Maybe you don't take anything. And then you focus on the code. You start to code, 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 code. And then you have beta version, let's call it, or version one. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Then you deliver this into the wild and forget about the documentation. At some, point, <laughs> yeah, at some point, someone is going to come back to you and ask for an update. Probably you forgot about the work you did in the past. 
mm-hmm. and it's not documented anywhere. Well, you left the company, it also happens. Yeah, that also happens. You left the company or, or the person who wrote the, the API left the company. Mm-hmm. And then you try to document the existing API. You start to find things that don't work as expected. And usually that ends up with a new version of the API, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you start from scratch again, doing another design, like thinking that this is going to be the good one. Or you stop in the middle or, I don't know, somewhere like 80% done and that's it. So yeah, I think that's the first approach that I saw in the wild. So that was the perspective of a backend developer, the one who basically creates this API. But in many cases, there are also clients for this API, let's say mobile Mm -hmm. applications. Do they need to wait until you're done with your API? In the early days, I remember passing a document around and probably people been building the front end or building the mobile API. They were just trying to build a mock on top or your vague specification. I don't know what's your experience, but I, I saw that before. Like you have some kind of idea, you pass the idea around, front end team is trying to mock something so they can start to work. So in my experience, it was usually two types of cases. The one is that everyone has the same documentation for what is expected from API, but it's just a document, Word document, Google documents, just a text. So we sit together, we discuss, everyone like it, and then everyone goes to its own corner and then start developing according to this document. And then at some point we decided to integrate backend and frontend and it doesn't work. And you have to do adjustments. Sometimes people got angry. Only then, only like after a few weeks of, of work, we realized that not everyone on the same page. The second case would be that frontend clients, they, they wait until backend is done. Because yeah. in the first case already, they don't want to, to be in a situation when, when something doesn't fit. That's why they prefer to wait. Then mm-hmm. the, the, the whole project takes uh, more time. Yeah, that, that's correct. I, I, I was going too far. I was talking about specification. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you're totally right. At this point, you don't even have any specification. You just have a, a shared doc <laughs> with ideas about how the endpoints are going to be, things like that. And then the second use case that I I usually see is uh, call first and and then annotate. So because of these struggles with the documenting the API after the code is done, some people started to add uh, comments or annotate the the endpoint, right? Mm -hmm. You can think, okay, now we have the documentation together with the code. I don't know, in Java, you can see annotations. In the Ruby world, I remember this grape API gem that allows you to annotate the endpoint so it generates a Swagger documentation for you, things like that. And then you think, okay, now API code and API documentation are in the same file. They live together. Finally, I have one source of truth. But that's not correct because when you're in a rush, for example, Mm -hmm. you can update the... API endpoint, forget about the notation. And then you have one source of lies instead of one source of truth. Yes. Have you experienced something like that? Have you worked in projects with the code first annotate? Yes. It's usually not, not to have these annotations at all because they're usually misleading. Or if the API is big enough, some part of it is, is well documented. The part which was implemented at the beginning of the project when everyone was excited and pay attention to every detail. With time, people just want to deliver yet another endpoint and they they don't care much uh, about documentation until it's really necessary. But at this point, it's already too late. And then no one wants to touch these annotations, touch these documentations, and then it just causes more problem than it solves. And personally, I find them quite messy. 
Mm-hmm. You have your code and you have these uh, notations in the middle and start to close things and open things and try to... One of the good things of this approach is that you get, at least you get a documentation for free. If the notations are right, mm-hmm. right, you, you can use, I don't know, Swagger tool, for example, and it's going to parse this uh, annotation and, and it's going to generate a documentation for you. Mm-hmm. So at least you have something to share. I think it's better than the, the previous scenario where you don't have anything and you have to build everything by hand. So you build API, you build documentation and everything. At least in this one, you just start to have some kind of automation in there. Then uh, another approach I saw in the wild is uh, design first, use specification, open API specification, start kind of design first. Mm -hmm. Then once the version one is done, forget about the documentation and just continue to code. So the documentation and the code is not in sync anymore. I don't know if you have seen something like that. Yes, a lot. As I said, this excitement at the beginning of the project when you really want to implement everything as good as possible, that's why you start with documentation first, you write tests first, all these nice things. But then with time, you just need to deliver yet another feature, fix yet another bug and do it as, as fast as possible. And usually because you work on this project already for some time, you're, let's say you not didn't join the company yesterday, you don't need documentation. You know everything. Everything is fine for you. It's the people who join company or external clients who has to use this documentation. These people, they experience problems with documentation which out of sync, totally misleading. So the problems are just on their side usually. What people do then when they have documentation, it's kind of there, but it doesn't work and they have no time to fix it or it's not fun anymore to fix because API is huge. It has, I don't know, 50 endpoints, what they usually do in this case. Classic approach, right? They just say, okay, we don't need this documentation because we don't have time to make it right. But we also realized that it just causes more problems. Let's just remove it and that's it. Yeah. And they start with code first. (laughs) Okay. Is there a better approach in this case? So The idea behind the design first uh, is that the API design evolved together with the code and everybody on the team is aware of it. So the main idea is you have, uh, you design your API with a specification. For example, open API is a standard to define HTTP APIs that there are others like blueprint, I think. There are multiple, but in general, it's a machine readable and human friendly at the same time document, which is usually text. It could be JSON, could be YAML, these two formats, where you define these are endpoints, these are the HTTP verb parameters, response requests, how they look, possibly examples. And because it's machine readable, you could do all sorts of cool things with this. Yeah, that's the thing. It's very important that you follow a standard. By following the standards, you're going to get all the tooling almost for free. So the idea is you get, you pick your tool, let's say open API in this case, you design the API. That, that's the other thing. This the, the tooling around API design has improved a lot. So these days you don't have to write uh, JAML files by hand. You don't have to write uh, JSON by hand. You can use this stoplight tool, for example, that allows you to do it on a more human-friendly way, right? Yeah. So you describe your API, and once everything is described, you, you're going to get almost for free mocking. You're going to get almost for free uh, linting and other stuff. So once you have a mocks and docs available from the definition, you can share it with the rest of the team, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have a mock that is going to serve the examples that you describe in your open API. They are going to be able to test. So you could unblock front-end developers in this yes, case. Yes, almost since day one, right? Mm-hmm. Because day one, you define one endpoint, one response. Mm-hmm. They can start to test it. They can start to give you feedback like, okay, you're expecting 
these parameters, but we are not going to send you these parameters because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So totally fine. You redefine the specification and keep iterating over it. Once everything is happy, everybody's happy with it, then you already have a contract. That's also super important. That specification usually can generate contract for the backend and a contract for, for the frontend. On the backend, depending on the specification that you use, for example, OpenAPI, you will get JSON schema defining your payloads. You can use those JSON schemas to generate uh, tests that already test your endpoints. So it's a hard contract be between the definition of the API and the code that you are writing. Yeah, that's the first benefit, right? So you have literally uh, one contract which works for all teams, means for front-end and for back-end developers. It's mm -hmm. the same the same specification for everyone. You could use it for mocking and you could use it in tests, right? So when you write tests for your for your API, you could make sure with this with this contract that response of this API actually follows the contract, it fulfills the contract. And that's how you keep your documents in, on sync, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you go the hacky way and change uh, an API endpoint because you're in a rush, mm -hmm. you're going to break the test. You're going to break the contract. You have to update the documentation or the specification. Specification is going to update the documentation. And yeah, people on the front or on the mobile app are going to get the, the last version of it. And if you make uh, breaking changes, everybody's going to be aware and probably someone is going to ping you before you deploy to production, for example. So by doing this, you have a mocking mm -hmm. that gives you super fast feedback. You have a contract mm -hmm. that can be used front and back. Yeah, everything is in sync. One source of truth, which is the specification. Mm -hmm. And this is a real one source of truth because as we talk, tests are in place, you're gonna be you're not gonna be able to change things without breaking it. And you could put this documentation on, on GitHub or GitLab, whatever you use, right? You... It should be part of your repo, yeah. I really like this this approach, um, mm -hmm. like this this the idea of, of having contract, one single source of truth for for multiple teams. It's it's already a huge benefit, in my opinion. But I also really like this extra side effects uh, of having this, this contract in machine-readable form. So this contract could be a Google document, but because it's machine-readable, yes, we mentioned that you could use it uh, to, to have uh, mocked APIs or use it in your test uh, or generate documentation. Mm -hmm. But in some cases, it's possible to generate clients uh, for your API. You mean SDKs? Yes, you could you could generate SDK for your for API. And as far as I know, uh, at least these two big companies like Heroku and AWS, uh, they do this. Their their clients for their API, the SDKs, they are not manually written. And another nice use case I saw with these specifications it was uh, proxies or gateways. So you can get the validation and use it to create a middleware that sits in front of your. API server, so you, you get like a first layer of validations for free because the specification is already performing the, the validations for you. So you have a middleware that reads the specification and loads the the constraints that you have defined in there. Yeah, it's kind of a proxy or something like that that gets in front of your server and yeah, you already have a layer of validation before 
before you even get a, a request in, into your server. Yeah, and it's according to, to contract, right? Yeah, because it's on the contract. So for example, empty required file is going to return a 42 right, right away or whatever for XX you you define in, in your specification. So the tooling around is uh, growing and it gives you gives you a lot. That's a big difference between the free document and uh, specification, standard specification. There are multiple services or multiple tools provide uh, support uh, in, in this case, right? The Stoplight is one of them. One of the, they, they started really early, like a few years ago, and they they provide super powerful IDE working with your uh, with your API specification in open API format, right? They started with Swagger. Mm-hmm. Now it's open API. But there are also other tools uh, which support this. In this tool itself, it's not, it's not something extra that you have to use. It just augments this the YAML file basically that, that you receive in the end. It supports you with, with litany. You could you, you see errors on any mistake that, that you make. You could use this tool with just with your mouse. So you point and click and type from time to time when you define uh, model attributes and, and properties. But you could at any time switch to just plain text mode and, and see and see this YAML file or JSON file and also type it. So you could just type JSON. It's just not that fast. Yeah, and the thing is, specifications, API specifications can can be super big, right? Mm-hmm. So at some point, they they are not easy to manage, and it's easy it's easy to go there to specific line and fix one thing. But it's nice to have the the tooling. Yeah, of course. If if API is just two endpoints, uh, and you are the only one who uses it, then then you most probably don't even have to go with this API design first approach. Just maybe to try it and experiment to have a feeling. But if you work with the team or at least with another person, this could be already highly recommended. So we mentioned Swagger and we mentioned Open API specification. What else exists? I heard about the Blueprint. I think it's another company behind them. It's also for mainly for HTTP APIs. Mm-hmm. Open API is also focused mainly on HTTP APIs, but there are other standards like Async API. I think Async Async API is more focused on messaging. It's basically also contract for messages in the queue and open RPC, right? That's another one that is focused on RPC. So we have uh, XML RPC specification. We have JSON RPC specification. Open RPC is a specification for this kind of APIs. Like RPC is also API, uh, and or Open RPC it's I would say it is highly influenced by OpenAPI uh, in terms okay. of structure and then the way you describe name of the parameters and attributes, they look the same in many ways. Of course, like some of them different just because of nature of RPC. Okay. What, what about things like uh, proto, Protobuf, the, the Google one? That's only for defining the, the payloads, right? I would say yes. It's for, for I never used them. It's not a full specification, right? My understanding is that it's similar to JSON schema. So where you can define anything, you, de- so you, you define a... you define structure how to encode your data, right? It, they also work as a contract, and then use this this specification to to encode data and pass it from one uh, one point to another. Okay, I see. This whole ecosystem has evolved a lot in the in the last two years because I remember Swagger and Jason Schema, they were doing similar things, but if you try to use both of them, that they were conflict. Mm-hmm. 
and now last version of OpenAPI, which is Swagger Evolution, mm-hmm. already is already well integrated with the JSON schema. So your payload responses requests are defined with JSON schema, mm-hmm. and they integrate with the rest of OpenAPI, which is used to describe the servers and the authentication, mm-hmm. things like that. I don't know what happened with JSON API hyper schema, which was kind of the same. That was an ex- extension of, or like a follow-up on, on, on having JSON. JSON schema is the way to describe JSON. So it might not be something related to API, just a JSON object. You did, you define all the attributes, type of these attributes with examples, descriptions, uh, and so on. So it's also machine readable uh, and human-friendly at the same time. But this is just for JSON. For Yeah. And OpenAPI decided to use this JSON schema to define the payloads because payloads are usually JSON. Yes, yeah. Okay, makes sense. Uh, and JSON hyper schema had extra attributes specific to HTTP APIs. So you could uh, define HTTP verbs and requests. and then... So it was or it is, I don't know what's the state of this project, an alternative to OpenAPI. Yeah, I think, I think OpenAPI is becoming like standard. There's a, some sort of entity around this and multiple companies contribute to it. So it has a future, I would say. Good for all of us. <laughs> if we summarize, we could say the API design first philosophy makes total sense. It wasn't born just because it was fun, right? It was evolution and then experience, like the result of experience of many years of creating APIs. In this case, it's not it's not just a contract which defines uh, response requests uh, and then parameters and then body, but it also uh, helps like as a side effect, you could use it to generate documentation for your API, which is always up to date and never out of sync. Uh, you could use it to test your your code as part of your test suite, generate SDKs. I even saw mocking service that Stoplight provides. Mm-hmm. Uh, generating mocking uh, webhooks and callbacks for you. That's awesome. Which is awesome for testing. Mm-hmm. It's fake data, of course, but mm-hmm. but you can you can expect uh, send a request to an endpoint and wait for a callback. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. You define, of course, you define the the time. You define most of the stuff is hard coded. It's, it's a mock, right? But still, it's super super useful for for testing. Yes, and you could play with your ideas and then kind of touch your API, which doesn't even exist. So there is no code, uh, but you could already play with your ideas and maybe adjust them on the fly. And then in this case, you work with just YAML or JSON. That's it. That's, that's the only thing which you write. Yeah, super easy to yeah get rid of it and start from scratch. Okay, I think that could be it for, for today. We finally are hitting our 30 minutes mark. So yeah, let's call it a day. Thanks for your time, Alex. And yeah, thanks all of you for listening. Have a nice weekend. If you have any questions or feedback, feel free to leave us a voice message on the Anchor page or send us an email. You will find all instructions in the show notes. If you like the podcast, give it a five stars rating on Apple Podcast. Also, you still have a chance to be the first one to leave a review. Keep being amazing. Bye.